Section 7 of A History of the Earthquake and Fire in San Francisco by Frank Aiken and Edward Hilton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Greg Giordano. Chapter 7 The Work of the Fire. When Sunday morning came, the end had been reached. Overnight there had been a drenching downpour. But even so, the sunless morn of Sunday was the happiest since the earthquake, for the fire was out at last, and the smoke had cleared away. The days and the nights that had passed had been for many a time of terror. By night there had been a little sleep, but that infested by a hideous phantasmagoria of a malevolent earthquake, vicious, spiteful, coming to engulf them, and of a fire, stealthy, relentless, ever stealing closer, and coming upon them at last to burn up their little bundles and themselves where they lay beneath the trees. By day there had been the morbid turmoil of distorted thought that follows upon the heels of loss, of the loss that may be written in figures, and the other that comes only to idolatry. Day and night alike had been filled with an anxious, dreadful, helpless waiting, while the frequent dynamiting told that the fight was not yet won, that the danger was still present. Except to those who had felt the tragic grip of the calamity, it was the desecration of the city, perhaps, that hurt most. For with the feeling of regret for the clothes and chairs and what-nots that made up their personal loss, mingled a fierce resentment at the wantonness, the willful rapine of the flames. The gods that make a city loved of its people were being demolished, their temples despoiled, and never in all the years of their Babylon had they been worshipped as in this last hour of their adoration. Upon all alike fell this burden of sadness. The man who had lived in the city that was, and he who had dwelt beyond the line, stood sorrowing at each other's side before the smoking pyre of the sacrifice. A whole city had been destroyed, a whole city with all that it stood for. The wholesale and the retail districts had burned. So had the manufacturing and financial districts, the districts of theaters and clubs and hotels and apartments, the residence districts where 200,000 people dwelt. Unburnt there were the homes of about as many more, and the second-rate stores and little businesses of a residence district, nothing else but the waterfront and a few scattered factories. San Francisco was no longer a city, only a collection of dwellings. The earthquake had deprived it of the mechanical conveniences of a city, cars and light and power and water and telephones. The fire robbed it of all the organized specialization which distinguishes a city from a hamlet. Organized businesses, hotels, theaters, stores, 
Without them, San Francisco was merely a great village, the largest village ever known, too. In a way, it was a gigantic camp. The money value of the property destroyed can never be definitely known. The fire had burned 490 entire city blocks and portions of 32 others. 2,593 acres in all, or 4.05 square miles. The destroyed structures, if placed together, would line both sides of a street a hundred miles long. 200,000 people had been rendered homeless, and the entire goods and chattels of this multitude consisted only of those pitiful bundles which they had wearily trundled over the cobbles in trunks or toy express wagons or baby carriages. Insurance claims covered about $300 million, from which it is safe to say that the insured property was worth $600 million, and there was probably as much more not insured at all. The municipality lost property worth millions and records that were invaluable. Beside the destruction of the city hall and the hall of records, the hall of justice had burned in the county jail, from which the prisoners had been removed to the military prison on Alcatraz Island. The police department had lost heavily. In the first hours of the fire, the southern station, located on Clara, near Forth, was destroyed, entailing a loss of $42,000. On the second day, the harbor station went. The mission station had been so badly damaged by the earthquake as to be counted worthless. Of the things that could be replaced by an expenditure of money, there had been a loss to the police amounting to $232,195. But over and above this was the loss of records among which the rogues gallery was an important factor that it cost two hundred thousand dollars to compile but whose real value to the department was beyond a monetary appraisement the fire department lost thirteen engine houses and one water tower house among the saddest depredations of the city for it occurred while the men of the department were doing their best to save the property of others of the public schools, 34 had been destroyed, with a loss to buildings and equipment of $1,532,570. Not included in this estimate is the girls' high school. Though beyond the zone of the fire, it was so badly wrecked by the earthquake as to be entirely untenantable. Every commercial and professional interest had suffered, some almost to the point of extinction. The loss in supplies, stocks, buildings, machinery, office equipment, houses, and household effects was enormous. The business district was a maze of gaunt brick walls and tangled iron. In the residence districts, which had felt the blight of the fire, there was nothing but chimneys and a worthless wreckage of bathtubs, melted crockery and flat-irons, with the occasional frame of a sewing-machine. So complete had the work of the fire been in both instances 
that not even ashes or cinders or embers remained. Then on the other hand were the things that had been the traditions of the city, the theaters and restaurants and dear midnight frivolities, the quaint unusual settlements, celestial and otherwise, the art and music and science, the records of Argonaut days, all were gone. The art quarter, around which hung so many memories of light-hearted workers, of men and women who mixed plenty of merriment with the seriousness of life, was gone. The quaint old studios were gone. One queer old restaurant, where bygone artists had charactered each other on the walls, and where footprints on the ceiling bespoke the topsy-turviness of bohemia survived alone amid the ruin of the haunts of the laughing sad crowd who had been its patrons for many years san francisco had been famed for its restaurants cosmopolitan to an extreme every race in the world that pretended to be a race at all was represented by its characteristic cafe some by many everywhere were to be seen greek italian hungarian spanish mexican swiss kosher and french restaurants the latter of various sorts ranging from the one of four courses with a bottle of red or white for two bits to the place of cosy rooms and elaborate prices there were the after-theatre places that knew only the nationality of bohemia others without even this race distinction merely san franciscan there were the chop suey joints in chinatown too where society was wont to go for a lark and the little mongrel places along the barbary coast famed for their tamales and enchiladas and other queer-sounding things no one really knew how much a part of the inner life of the city the restaurants had been until they were destroyed chinatown had come to be but a memory the bright lanterns the little grated windows the balconies that whispered of romance the flaring dragons were gone gone too the ill-smelling fish markets and cellar shops the bazaars the gambling dens the places where opium was smoked in guarded secrecy everything that had made the little foreign settlement a tradition throughout the world had disappeared telegraph hill upon whose slopes the scions of sunny italy and spain and portugal had breathed the life of the homeland was a bed of ashes with here and there a chimney to mark the grave of some dead home not a theatre in the city was left the tivoli were seasons of comic and grand opera alternated the orpheum vaudeville's laughing centre the columbia transitory home of the stars the alcazar where a stock company made fun in farce and comedy the grand opera house where untrusted stars and the metropolitan opera company came from time to time the california around which hung memories of mcculloch and barrett but sunk in its last days to burlesque the central with its glaring melodrama these and a score of others had gone down before the unrelenting flames every hotel was gone the famous palace with its renowned courtyard was a labyrinth of bare walls 
in the beautiful rooms of the st francis there remained only ruined marble and the fluffy white ash of costly furniture the grand the occidental the st nicholas the lick were tangles of water-pipes window-weights and bathtubs all of the great newspaper plants were burned the entire establishments of the city of which the business office only was in the spreckles building the chronicle the examiner the bulletin the post and several published in foreign tongues were destroyed the club-houses with but two exceptions were consumed the men of the cosmos and the women of the century still had their homes but of the others not one remained the bohemian with its old masters and its quaint library the pacific union the university the union league the olympic oldest athletic club in the world the press the university of california the family and a dozen besides had gone the studio of william keith the famous artist was burned on the afternoon of the first day a few devoted friends took from it the full collection of about two thousand pictures and loading them on an express wagon carried them to a house far out on california street the next day all but twenty-six were burned of the libraries there was scarcely a one that did not suffer almost complete annihilation the public library which in its various branches contained one hundred and sixty-six thousand three hundred and forty-four volumes before the fire could count only twenty-three thousand afterwards these were all in the branches beyond the fire zone the mechanics mercantile library established in eighteen fifty three and containing two hundred thousand volumes was totally destroyed as was also the collection of twelve thousand three hundred scientific books of the california academy of sciences dating from the same year among others totally destroyed were the law library of fifty thousand volumes and the libraries of the astronomical society the bohemian club the chamber of commerce the san francisco medical society st ignatius college and the young men's christian association the sutro library of two hundred thousand volumes rare old black letter tomes invaluable and irreplaceable was stored partly in a warehouse on sansome street and partly in the montgomery block and lost only seventy-five thousand volumes a few records and stuffed birds are all that the academy of sciences had left with which to make its fresh start on wednesday the records of the academy and certain specimens of rarer bird families had been removed by the director of the museum and his assistants first they were taken to russian hill but when the fire climbed its western slope they were again removed this time to fort mason where they remained secure a pitiful remnant old pioneer hall home of the society of california pioneers was burned early on the first day of the fire not a single record of the society contained there not a scrap of paper that bore the stamp of early days was spared old san francisco had been destroyed absolutely completely all that remained was of the new generation 
everything of pioneer days, every building with a history dating from the early years of the city's life, had been wiped out, save a few of no importance near the appraiser's building. The old Niantic block, built over a stranded ship, Fort Gunny Bags, from whose windows men had been hanged by the vigilantes of the Sows, Meg's Wharf, from which honest Harry Meggs set sail with several hundred thousand dollars belonging to trusting depositors, were all consumed. The entire district that had been young San Francisco was gone. Gone, too, was the city of the railroad builders, and of the Comstock operators, Stanford, Cracker, Huntington, Hopkins, Flood, Fair, McKay, Sharon, Ralston, Lick, Knob Hill, once covered with their magnificent residences, was an acropolis of picturesque ruins, the buildings where these mighty men of the growing city had done their work. The nigher homes burned and their families gone. They knew not where, and in the awful time of flight, amid the flames followed fastest on the heels of the earthquake, in the district south of Market Street. None knew the fate of those who dwelt nearby, and many could not be sure of the escape, even of those living in the same house with them. By day and by night, untiringly, they tramped the length and breadth of the city, searching among the thousands in the various camps for those they loved and by day and by night the soldiers, going up and down among the tents, called the names of the missing. One man was seeking, almost hopelessly, for his old, weak, feeble-minded grandmother, a woman of eighty. He heard that she had been taken into some hospital or charitable institution somewhere in the city, and in the sad simplicity of a too-great grief, was asking all he met if they had seen her, as if they, perforce, would know his grandmother, among all that they might meet. Others sought children who had wandered away during the excitement before the home had to be abandoned, or husbands or wives, brothers or sisters of whom they heard nothing. Sometimes the search ended in success, and those who stood by witnessed joyful reunions, whose sweet pathos they could never forget. Other sad searches continued in vain, until at last the dreaded truth was revealed, when the form of a loved one was recognized, among the coroner's grim display. And many other such anxious questionings find no answer, save among the unidentified dead. In all, 438 deaths are known to have resulted from the earthquake and the fire and in many cases the identity of the victims was never determined. Many were the grim tragedies of that terrible day, many the sources of the dull grief that was felt in the camps. What suffering, what suspense, there is in some of them. Down on the waterfront had stood a cheap restaurant, conducted by two men who were old friends as well as business associates. Nelson cooked, Johnson served. With the shock of the earthquake, the frail building collapsed and took fire. With utmost difficulty, Johnson at last extricated himself from the ruins of the dining room. Nelson was nowhere to be seen, 
the roaring pillar of flame that had been the kitchen made a search for him impossible for many days johnson sought his old friend and partner but in vain at last he took up his search at the old place bricks from the walls of neighboring buildings lay in great piles where the little restaurant had been for days he worked among the hot debris at the bottom pinned under the overturned stove at which he had been cooking lay the charred body of him he sought through the south of market district there must have been many such cases scores pinned in the wreckage were burned to death in the fires which followed the caving in of hotels and lodging houses many there were who were nearly saved and in the end had to be left to their cruel fate despite all that they and their heroic stout-hearted rescuers could do one man who was taken out of such a wreck at the last minute tells of two others who were near him and who like him were unable to free themselves even as the fire approached they cheered each other i'm not at all hurt said one but there's a big beam across my back and i can't get out i guess they'll have us soon though i could get out all right myself said the other only that my wrist is held tight in the timbers and there they had to be left while the merciless fire burned those around and finally themselves in some places which the fire did not reach until long afterward there were equally harrowing occurrences high brick walls crashed through adjoining lodging houses carrying the various floors of the latter down in mingled wreckage beneath thus many were killed outright or so badly injured that they died soon after here too were grim tragedies for in adjoining rooms perhaps children cried in vain for parents lost to them forever or mothers were crazed by the sudden grief that had come upon them in many cases people were killed by falling chimneys as they started up at the shock of the earthquake or were rendered unconscious and so died painlessly when the fire reached them others injured and carried away unconscious recovered only to live through an agony of despairing search for those whose fate they could but surmise such cases perhaps contain the most harrowing tragedies of all grim indeed is one such story it concerns a happy little family of five father mother and three little girls the father was very low with pneumonia unconscious he was taken from the burning wreckage of his home and conveyed to the presidio hospital in june he was discharged restored to health during all the time intervening he had no tidings of his family for a month he searched at length he found his wife who like him had also been taken out of the house unconscious and who had been removed to a hospital for treatment for her injuries she too had been searching for him and for the little ones but of them she had learned nothing together they took up the sad search at last in one of the mission refugee camps they found their little three-year-old from her joyous childish prattle they could get only a meagre outline of the story only that someone had heard her crying 
and taken her out of the house as it burned. They continued the heartbreaking attempt to find the other little ones, but could get no clue. Finally the father began what he had dreaded, and had put off as long as any hope remained, the search of the ruins of his home. There, at length, he found a few charred bones. The coroner pronounced them those of two small girls. His long search was over. It was such tragedies as these, whether known at once, or only feared by those who, in suspense, did not learn the dread truth till later, that wrung the hearts of many in the camps, and indeed throughout the city. There were indeed many cases of actual insanity. Many a pitiful story is indicated by the simple record of patients brought to the temporary hospitals as insane during the days of the fire. The shock itself, the harrowing scenes when loved ones were crushed beneath falling walls or pinioned helpless to die by the fire's slow torture. The agony of suspense as day followed day and no news came, caused many a man to lose his reason during those trying times. During the first few days of the fire, many were brought to the emergency hospitals and treated as insane. In some cases the attack was but temporary. In others, however, it was necessary to place the patient in an asylum. During the first days after the earthquake, many temporarily lost their reason, because suddenly deprived of a favorite indulgence, strong drink in many cases, in others morphine or opium. Of these some recovered after a short period of raving, others made no improvement and seemed permanently insane. There are stories of crazed men who could not tear themselves away from the horrid fascination of the fire, stories of men who in a moment's madness leaped into the flames. One such tale seems to touch to the utmost depths of horror and grisly tragedy. A dealer at the Italian market, it seems, was so terrified, or so unbalanced, by the sudden falling of walls about his place, a number of men and horses, backed up beside the market for their morning supplies, were buried beneath its wall, that he ran into the great refrigerator, and slammed the heavy door behind him. In the confusion and excitement, his absence was not noticed, and in a few hours the building burned. The refrigerator, covered with fallen brick, remained unharmed, and in it the unwilling prisoner, ignorant of the fire, ignorant of the death or flight of his comrades, awaited the opening of his lonely cell. For eight days and nights he remained there, breathing the polluted air of the refrigerating chamber, but slightly renewed by its ventilators, drinking the water which came from the melting of the ice, tearing at the raw meat which hung within reach. At length those who came to clear up the market heard faint sounds from within the refrigerator. They opened it. On the floor lay their former companion, faint, weakened, scarcely living, a hopeless maniac. What he had suffered they never knew, for within the day he died. How many other such tragedies occurred in the seething cauldron of the flames will never be known. 
but there were unquestionably many cases where men lost their reason momentarily in the stress and excitement of the time many fought each other needlessly for precedence in getting into boats and men were killed in such trivial quarrels others brought to the authorities stories so wild that it seemed certain their reason had left them and even after the immediate excitement had ended people were telling of sights that never could have existed at all they seemed strange now but were believed readily enough when told by supposed eyewitnesses thus one man was sure that he himself had seen the cliff house floating on the sea if he had its return to its accustomed place must have been marvelous to behold a woman fleeing frightened to oakland told hysterically of her terrible trip down market street and of crossing great crevasses there on rickety planks which served as bridges so terrified was she by her wholly imaginary experience that she could not be induced to return to san francisco no less startling are the stories told of the great buildings on this same street as one man passed below it the call building was inclined at an angle of fifteen degrees from the perpendicular another passed it just before it fell into the street yet it is still standing as straight and sturdy as it was when first erected sincerely believed there can be but one explanation for such stories a very reasonable one too that many saw only what their fantastic fears told them was present and for a while many minds were unstrung it was a time of grief of fear of tragedy blinding gripping full of the pangs of death to all had come a common loss to some a bitter personal sorrow to such san francisco might well have seemed pitiless cruel remorseless taking away their all driving them forth despoiled and condemning their loved ones to sudden an awful death and to all it might have seemed that the city had become the spoil of the gods a city destined to destruction yet even amid all the pain and the heartache the love of the san franciscan for his city rose supreme the beloved city the adorned one had been desecrated her beauty shrunk into a shroud of ashes her people scattered like chaff but never had the city been so beloved never was its will to-day so strong as in those days of bitter defeat indomitable undaunted by thought of earthquake or fires san francisco serene indifferent of fate began to shake off its ashes and rise from its ruins the very immensity of the catastrophe was a challenge that stirred the brave and the muscle in the brain of the stricken city into action the optimism of adversity asserted itself the people taught themselves to believe that it might have been worse a poem written by s j alexander whose occupation after the fire was cleaning bricks on the debris piles shows beautifully the spirit of the people who set themselves dauntlessly to the work of rearing a greater city than had been destroyed it appeared in the century magazine for august nineteen o six and is as follows 
to San Francisco. If we dream that we loved her aforetime, Twas the ghost of a dream, for I vow, By the splendor of God in the highest, We never have loved her till now. When love bears the trumpet of honor, oh, Highest and clearest he calls, With the light of the flaming of towers, And the sound of the rending of walls. When love wears the purple of sorrow, And kneels at the altar of grief, And the flowers that spring in his footsteps, The white flower of service is chief. And as snow on the snow of her bosom, As a star in the night of her hair, we bring to our mother such token as the time and the elements spare. If we dreamed that we loved her aforetime, adoring we kneel to her now, when the golden fruit of the ages fall, swept by the wind from the bough. The beautiful dwelling is shattered, wherein, as a queen at the feast, in gems of the barbaric tropics and silks of the ultimate east our mother sat throned and triumphant with the wise and the great in their day they were captains and princes and rulers but she she was greater than they we are sprung from the builders of nations by the souls of our fathers we swear by the depths of the deep that surround her by the height of the heights she may dare. Though the twelve league in compact against her, though the sea gods cry out in their wrath, though the earth gods, grown drunk of their fury, fling the hilltops abroad in her path, our mother of masterful children shall sit on her throne as of yore, with her old robes of purple about her, and crowned with the crowns that she wore. She shall sit at the gates of the world, where the nations shall gather and meet. In the east and the west at her bidding, shall lie in a leash at her feet. End of section 7 Recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida